For over 10 years, VOC Nation has taken listeners behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Our hosts are not only experts on the business, but have lived in the business. Subscribe and hear weekly podcasts from hosts like legendary pro wrestling journalist Bill After, former Impact Wrestling star Wes Briscoe, former WWE and AWA broadcaster Ken Resnick, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, former WCW star The Maestro, NWA legend The Raging Bull Manny Fernandez, and much more. VOC Nation programming is free on most major podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Radio.com. And video podcast and bonus content is available on Patreon for as low as $3 a month. What are you waiting for? Head to VOCNation.com and dig into the most comprehensive podcast network built for pro wrestling fans. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at VOC Nation Wrestling Network and follow us on Twitter at VOC Nation. Podcast, proud to be part of the VOC Nation Radio Network. Stadium Journey is more than just a wicked awesome podcast. Our website, stadiumjourney.com, contains over 2,500 stadium reviews, news items, and great features perfect for the traveling sports fan. In addition to the website, we are all over social media. You got it all covered, guys. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Like us, follow us everywhere across the board. Tell your friends. And the Stadium Journey podcast is the perfect companion for when you're on a road trip. Just type VOC Nation Radio Network into your podcast search app or check us out on Spotify. Check out all of VOC Nation podcasts on Spotify. And in addition, all of the old Stadium Journey video podcasts are on the Stadium Journey YouTube channel. Perfect for binge watching if the weather's less than perfect. And we also stream live on Twitch.tv slash DanLaw83. For those of you who are with us right now, thanks for watching. And don't be afraid to participate in the show. We like our stuff interact. Now, let me just take a second and introduce my starting lineup for today. Dave Cotney is with us. You can follow him at ProFan9. Our Kez is here. You can find, follow him on the social medias at BallparkHunter. Our producer, the above-average comedian, Dan Calachico is online at DanLaw83, and I am Paul Baker. You can follow me at PuckmanRI. And so if any of you have listened or watched the podcast before, you know that down deep down inside, I think most of us are hockey guys. But there is a topic that has kind of avoided avoided the podcast in our four seasons, and that is college hockey. So tonight, that's what we're going to talk about. What's the what's the elbow? Are you doing a Gordy? No, I was showing somebody else I'm doing a project for my injury uh, rap. <laughs> so uh, it's the yeah. only way I can sit here and do the shows and stream without my arm throbbing the entire time. Don't get old, so, folks. It sucks. So speaking of speaking of those of us who are old, back when we were youngins watching some some hockey, it was really really rare to see any college hockey players play in the pros. Not so the case today. College hockey has really grown in leaps and bounds over the years. Why is that? Why why has the focus 
gone totally away from Canada and from the junior leagues, and now where college hockey is really on a par on an even playing field. That's that's a really good question. I don't really answer that question because I know, like, all of a sudden, at one point in the mid-2000s, I was able to watch college hockey to where all those years before, I wasn't able. It was what you read in the papers. Yeah, papers, kids. Uh, it was what you read in the papers under the internets uh, about prospects or a name. Like, you know, we all know about, for the Flyers, we all know about Cam York now. Uh, and about 20 years ago, it'd be like, uh, whatever the papers reported on who was doing what, you didn't see a lot of it. And I, I think it was ramped up a little in the area of Philadelphia because you had Penn State just north. But by the time, you know, I left the area, college hockey was all over almost every game on TV now. But I don't, I can't pinpoint that. All I know is, for me, from a personal uh, perspective, um, I always read up what I could because it wasn't covered a lot, Dave. I'm sure you're surprised. Uh, the Canadian juniors were not covered a lot in our area unless somebody was scouted or looked at by the specific team. But uh, I'm still happy that's changed. And, of course, you fast forward to the Internet, you buy a package and watch anything. Yeah, I, you know, I would uh, agree with that. 90% of the – 90% of them. I know there's, there's a lot that uh, – I. I envy – I'm going to say this right now. I know people are like, you're Canadian. Dan just moved to Canada. I'm like, okay, I can get Timbits and, and hockey. I'm fine with it. Um, and Darren said Timbits are not good. I don't want to fight him. But, um, birthday cake flavored Timbits are amazing. I, Timbits, okay, that's the one. Birthday that's cake Timbits. I'm going to take birthday notes cake, on that. Yeah. Yep, that's the one. Take, take notes on that. Bourbon flavored Timbits would be actually pretty good too. <laughs> I envy – it's changed the last couple of years because you got AHL TV, ECHL TV. You got uh, there's Hockey TV. There's an independent company that airs the American Juniors, the equivalent to the American Juniors. Um, is it the NAHL? It is the NAHL USHL. They air those games, and I'll catch one every now and then. A weekend, I'll spend seven bucks and watch a weekend. It used to be the Aston Rebels. They left. I don't know where the hell they are. Jamestown, I think now. But um. I envy being able to watch the Calgary Hitman. Calgary Hitman, excuse me. Um, yes, I mentioned them on purpose. Why would I do that? Have no Why idea. Why would you? Hmm. But um, I, I, I want the juniors to get – I there's no market for it in the States, but I would love somebody to try. And I know the NHL <laughs> Network feeds us one every now and then, but um, college hockey will do. I'm not taking that for granted. The games are on. ESPN is becoming the hockey network all of a sudden. It's weird how that works out. Better than the USA network. Yes, slightly. But um, <laughs> it's, it, it, I'm so I'll happy to be it, – it, I'm 37. I can watch hockey almost any night of the week right now. And that happiness is kind of multiplied by the, I don't know, the thing that's been happening in the last year, something weird with a bat or something. Well, I mean, I can remember the 1980s when you were watching the Stanley Cup Finals. That was on the USA Network. The 1994 Stanley Cup Finals was on MSG where I was. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, National Hockey League itself is on major network TV. And I think they went through almost 20 years. I think the first Stanley Cup to be on major network TV in a long time was the 1995 Cup. Uh, so because of the National Hockey League profile, all of a sudden I think other leagues up uh, from above – 
uh, push it up the ranks as well. Plus, we have more cable providers that are looking for content. Why not put some uh, college hockey? I mean, the atmosphere at some of these venues is amazing. It would make a non-hockey fan fall in love with the sport from a live perspective. Uh, why not put it on TV? Great. So, Paul, I'm going to do something really wild and crazy here. and I'm going to answer the question that you asked. Thank you. I appreciate that because I was thinking I was going to have to answer it myself. <laughs> I do have an answer for my question. I mean, so. I said I don't know. To be fair, I answered your question. <laughs> so I think True. I think there's a couple things at play. So uh, way back, way back, uh, 60s, whatnot, you know, the, the original six era. In the original six era, um, NHL teams were signing guys to what they called their, their P card or their C card. They were signing guys at, at 16, at 15, at 14, right? That's right. Bobby Orr was signed when he was, like, yeah. 14. Yeah. yeah. And they controlled junior teams. So, famously, the Maple Leafs had, amongst many others, but they had two main junior teams. They had the Toronto Marlboros. They had the Toronto State Mike's Majors. And uh, funny enough, the reason why they had two separate teams is because Conn Smythe did not like the, the Protestants and the Catholics fraternizing. So the Protestant players play for the Marlies, and the Catholic players play for St. Mike. So they couldn't oh, fraternize until they got to okay. Yeah. Well, once they brought the draft, then obviously that all stopped. But I think really the big push for college hockey was the miracle on ice. Oh, yeah. And that was my Brooks. And a lot of those guys were college guys, right? Sure. All of them. All of them were. There's that guys. scene in in uh, in Miracle, you know, where where they're skating back and forth. What, what team do you play? I play for Minnesota. <laughs> Skate again. Good. And you know, they name off all these colleges that they were. But then, I think what had to ha- had to go with it. So the Miracle was one thing, but then they needed they needed like a Neil Broughton, who. I think if I'm reading this correct, he was the first Hobie Baker Award winner. At the time, he was probably the most prolific American player um, until, you know, some of the more more modern players came out of Minnesota. And if you look at some of those early Hobie Baker names, there's some there's some decent NHL players in that group, right? And you combine that with uh, it's a it's a less regional path to the pros. Okay, so if you're in the northwestern United States, then you're probably going to go to junior, right? So, like Washington State, believe it or not, is a hockey hotbed. There's tons of junior teams in Washington State. There's Everett, and there's Tri City, and there's Seattle, and there's Spokane, right? Uh, if you're in the Northeast, your path is college. Yeah. Okay. So it, it's become a bit regionalized, but the college game is a different game. I, I think of a guy like Paul Korea, and Paul Korea is a Western kid. In the 90s, when the Western Hockey League was viewed as this big bruiser, farm boy fighting league, and Paul Korea is a little guy, you know, would he have made it in the Western League? I, it's hard to say, right? It's defi- It was definitely not a league that was made for him. He may have got a concussion or two. Uh, probably. 
So what did he do? He went and played at the University of Maine, won a Hobie Baker, you know, was a fairly high draft pick, uh, you know, spent some time on, like, the World Juniors, built his profile, you know, picked by the Ducks. And and suddenly it's it's a it's a different path. So if you're a parent, uh, junior is a bit of a crapshoot, right? You're sending your kid away at 16, right? Like or 15, maybe depending on on who they are. Uh, that's where you get like the Lindros situation, where Eric Lindros was from London. He was drafted by the Sioux. Wanted nothing to do with the Sioux. His parents, you know, kicked up a fuss. Well, we don't want him going to the Sioux. So one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to get traded or he's going to, you know, play, you know, minor midget or major midget or whatever, hold on to his eligibility, go and play college in the States. And, of course, there is that education factor. You know, there's how many how many uh, teams are there, D1 teams, Paul? 59 or 61. There will be 61, yeah. And, you know, how many of those guys are making the pros? 10%? If that, yeah. Right? So why is everybody else there? Well, I'm sure they're there to play hockey, but they're going to get that education as well. Yeah. um, Your your answer is very similar to mine, Dave. I was going to say the same thing. It started with the Miracle on Ice. And like you said, excuse, <coughs> excuse me, like you said, more than that, then there had to be some guys who made the jump and were successful. Because guys made the NHL before the Miracle on Ice through the 70s is really guys started trickling in. But they were journeymen. There were, weren't really a whole lot of guys you could say were all-stars or, you know, guys who made their bones. Uh, but guys started having success, and you started seeing more and more. And now what – What's the percentage of the NHL that have college experience? Is it somewhere between a quarter and a third, I think? It's definitely a lot higher than it was in the 80s. Yeah. So uh, you kind of outlined the answer to this question a little bit, but I'll I'll ask the group, what makes college hockey a better hockey option for us puck fanatics than, say, the Canadian juniors or the minor leagues? Oh, it doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it does. I don't look at it as a, a, a better option. I look at it as uh, another option and more to watch. Um, I would, if somebody gave me a choice to watch it, I don't be straight up. If somebody gave me a choice to, to watch the Canadian juniors and the NCAA, I'd, I'd pick the juniors <laughs> without a hesitation. Um, minor two, no, I, it's, uh, for, in my opinion, it's just more hockey to watch, not different or an alternative. Uh, I would watch it all if I could. You know what I mean? So I, I would say that the big the big difference is proximity. Uh, both to me, both college hockey and Canadian junior hockey. I mean, they're fine on television. But it's not even close. It's not remotely close. Seeing college hockey live is infinitely better than on television. Oh God, yeah. Seeing, seeing junior hockey live is much better than on on television. 
Now, I would say that, especially in the OHL, the the OHL is becoming more homogeneous uh, with their arenas. They're starting to look a little cookie cutter. They're starting to look very similar. You you have like Kitchener that that is a very unique spot. You have Sudbury that's very unique, and it's an older building. But then you've got a, a bunch of them that really look a lot alike. You have Guelph that looks like Oshawa, that looks like Kingston, that looks like Niagara. Not a lot of unique spots. A man in college hockey, I, I'm not sure I've been to two spots that are remotely close to being the same. There is no. such variety in that in that college hockey experience. Yeah, because because the the ones that I've been to, and I have not been to a lot, but all of them are unique. They have a great atmosphere, the fan base, the band, the music, uh, the student section, the traditions. It's unlike anything I've seen, even in 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 the pros. It's 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 simply amazing. I wish I can get out to more. That that's how great it's been for me. So yeah, no no two ones have looked alike to me, and I'm sure you could find them if I ventured out to a few more. But the the five or six that I have visited, uh, yeah, you, you uh, take yeah. away some a little bit different. I'm sure my opinion would change if I went to these games. But as far as TV experience, I I, I want it all. I'll, I'll inject it all into my veins, please. So what makes going to a college hockey game so much so special compared to say watching it on TV or comparing it to the minor pros or what have you? I would say the uh like when I went to Bowling Green uh hockey a few years ago, you have this small little hockey arena in this small town, but the place was packed and low ceilings, you know, you just had this horseshoe shaped seating stand you had the the student section there with the newspaper they you know they turn around during the away <laughs> announcements you had the band being played you had people focused on the game you know they're there to, to, to the, all the actions on the game they're not there for promotion or disney night or nickelodeon night it's it's pure passion for their school uh, whether you're an, uh, an alumni, a student, or, or just a fan from the area. And it's it's great hockey. I mean, there's a beautiful pedigree of, of NHL players who left their mark at Bowling Green State. And that's that's just a small little college that, you know, is right off the interstate just south of Toledo, and you wouldn't expect that. But here you are. you got this great environment there. And that, for me, who's kind of late in the game of going to college hockey, Makes me want to go to more. I want to go to Michigan. I want to go to Michigan State. I, I want to check out some games in Minnesota if I can. I, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, I would say, um, I mean, the two things that jump right out off the top are are the band and the student section. Take um, my answer again, Dave. I'm, I, hey, man. Great, great minds. Great minds. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I would say this. So I've, I've run the gambit at Michigan. I've been to football, been to basketball, I've been to hockey. My favorite student section is at hockey. Yep, I would uh, agree. West, Western Michigan, you know, eh, student section in football. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's there's more people. Hockey, the Lawson Lunatics, they're they're off the charts. It it seems like, of course, that section is smaller. 
but there's more going on. Uh, <laughs> they're they're a little rougher around the edge. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> if, if you're if you're a goaltender, you know, listening to the student section after you let one in is not going to be pretty. Uh, I would say that maybe the exception to that was when I was at the Big Chill, which was the precursor to the Winter Classic at Michigan, where there were 113,000 fans for Michigan, Michigan State in the big house. And that poor goalie for Michigan State, who let in five goals and had somewhere in the neighborhood of 80,000 people calling in the sieve, <laughs> might have been a little nerve-wracking. Yeah, I've got to agree with you there. The student sections in hockey are the most entertaining, the the the, the loudest, I guess, per per square inch or whatever, however you want to say it. Um, the most vulgar, without a doubt. Yeah. So I'm thinking of some of the the legendary student sections in the area I've been to. Um, think of the Maniacs up at the University of Maine back when they were rolling and they were national contenders. Um, in in Alphon Arena, hanging over the goalie and just letting him have it. You think of, uh, you know, the BU student section, which uh, is as vulgar as, as you get and, and, uh, and, and antagonistic as you get. I think of the dog pounds in Northeastern. Uh, if you've been to Northeastern, if you've been to Matthews Arena, that top section, again, hanging right over the goalie, looking almost straight down at him or her, if you're at a women's game. Uh, they just add so much. To the game that you don't get in other sports. I mean, basketball has some great student sections. Football has some great student sections. There's something a little extra about a hockey student section. It yeah, they sold it banned. I'm in. You know, <laughs> better than that. It's almost as if that glass is like it's like invincibility for the fans, right? Like uh, Mark and I ended up at the same at the same Miami game, Miami of Ohio. And and I remember we were I was like right up against the glass and Mark was in the row behind me and I remember like it was yesterday, one of the ushers came down to talk to uh, a couple that were just off to the side of me because they were banging on the glass and they're banging on the glass, they're banging and it wasn't that no, I'm sorry, you can't bang on the glass. It was um dude, the ring you gotta take the ring off to bang on the glass, okay? Because you can't be like banging the ring against the glass. <laughs> <laughs> bang all you want, don't scratch it. <laughs> don't scratch the glass. <laughs> so uh, you know what? Let's let's just transition into some. Talk, let's talk about some of our favorite places because uh, Mark, you brought that up that no two places are alike, and that is absolutely true across the, uh, the college hockey landscape. So between. The panel here, I think we said that we've been to, out of the 59 current Division One schools, we've been to 37. I think I that's right. right. I know I've been to 26 myself. Dave, you've been to about what? 15. And Mark, you got four or five in there? Mark's, Mark's got also following with the mute button. Yeah, Mark. Mark has the same. I don't think Mark has any original ones. He's, he's and so if you, yeah. Just if anybody from New Jersey that should be using the mute button, it's me. The wrong guy is using <laughs> the mute button. So, so let's talk. Let's talk about some of our favorites. Mark's been to five, and I, yeah, I think we got a lot. We've got some overlap. So, you know, fifteen and twenty-six and five is. Can you, you hear know. me now? My yes. yes. Okay. Good. Okay. I would say. You know, it's what's interesting is is you get like the full kind of gambit. So you've got 
uh, a place like like Mark said, like Bowling Green, which is just this little kind of bunker, um, and, and a couple others that that almost seem like high schoolish. Like uh, I've been to Ferris State, uh, Niagara. Really, I mean, you think you think that that Bowling Green is small? I mean, Ferris State is even smaller than that. But then on the other side, you've got like Wisconsin which is about as close to an NHL arena as you can get, right? Or you've got uh, out, out where you are, you know, UConn is, is playing in an old NHL spot. Um, they are building – UConn is building an on-campus arena, so we're looking very forward to, to what that's okay. going to be. I think it'll be mid-sized. I think it'll be about five 6,000. But I'll Perfect. get into the New England side in a little bit. Cause but you can have – you have, like, old ones – you have new ones. Uh, so my, I, I, you, you know, my absolute favorite, and, and it's actually my favorite hockey place of all time, is Yoast. And you're uh, not Yost, alone in feeling that. Yoast Ice Arena. Oh my gosh, amazing! It's a, a Michigan, of course, and it used to be the basketball arena until you know they got big, and and like everything else in Michigan, I mean, think about it. The 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 hockey arena is named after a football coach. <laughs> but, yeah, just this old, old-school building, uh, tight. Uh, you know, you're, you, the bandstand is up on this, this almost balcony, and they're, they're playing out like it's, a, like it's a, a theater show, you know, like way back, way, way back where the, the trumpeters would come out on the balcony or whatever. Uh, I walked in and just kind of wow, the the uh, the ticket taker is you know how I, I asked the ticket taker how's it going he's like it's a great day because you're at Yoast and you know like those guys I I think the guys that that work at Yoast you know they they like Michigan basketball and they like Michigan football and everything but Michigan hockey is the be all and end all. Uh, probably one that's that's just on the opposite spectrum. Um, funny enough, I, I would say their their rivals is Notre Dame. Absolutely gorgeous yeah, arena. Uh, uh, advertising, none. We don't need it. So yeah. instead of all those gaudy ads on the boards, you have just like there's three colors at, at Notre Dame. There's blue and there's green and there's gold. And there's nothing else. The only other color is white on the ice. Floors, that awesome? and that's ceilings, something. everywhere. Isn't that great? When you go to a college hockey rink, the boards are white. The ice is white. There's no it's, – it's such a different world. It's such a great – Not all of them, but the, the ones that can afford it, oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Notre Dame's well, – is it 10 years old yet? I don't think it is. Yeah, I think, I think that Notre Dame might have been one of the first – hockey arenas I I don't know I, I want to say that might have been the first no it, it wasn't the first but it was the first time that I, I said wow look at the band look at the stands look at the way this building is shaped because one part of it the upper area is is for like club people and they really kiss your butt in there and they, they serve you food and the place was packed it was snowing that day uh, the the arena itself is very nondescript it sort of blends in with the other buildings I think it's meant to be that way. But once you get inside, it's electric. And I think at one point that was number three. That made it our list number three top 
stadium experiences for the year when we had the magazine. And people were telling me that, that work there. They were saying, yeah, we made number three. We were number three. So and I, I, I had a wonderful time. You're absolutely right. You were just blown away by how awesome everything was. And you're right. It doesn't get the attention as football, not even bas- basketball. But, you know, I would, I would rank it up there as one of the must-see experiences uh, of Notre Dame probably right after football. Yep. One of the yeah. cool things that I thought when, when I was there is the goaltender for Notre Dame, and this was only about two years ago, the goaltender for Notre Dame, his mom was Manon Rayon. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I guess we're that old now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that old now. <laughs> so yeah, another one that was that's talked about, I don't think any of us have actually been there, but uh, the Engelstad Arena on the campus of Notre Dame, Northern, ND, I'm thinking ND. Northern, wrong ND. <laughs> yeah, wrong ND. Uh, it has, is just known for just being a fantastic facility. Yeah, it is. I I have been there um, when we were driving from Minnesota to Winnipeg. We purposely went through Grand Forks and went and stopped at, at, at the arena uh, because the store's in there. Um, Unfortunately, practice was going on, so you couldn't really walk around. But it was, it was amazing, absolutely amazing. And and Ralph Engelstad, I mean, he saw what was coming, and he embedded the old Fighting Sioux logo in everything. And uh, he really loved that logo, and he loved the name. And when they were uh, having some political discussions about changing the name. Ralph Engelstad Arena had a lot to do with what was going on because all of that stuff couldn't be covered up. It couldn't be removed. Um, but just a beautiful, beautiful arena. There's nothing, even in the pros, there's nothing like, like, uh, like Ralph Engelstad. There's nothing like the Compton Family Ice Arena, which is at Notre Dame. They are just the attention to detail is just beyond. And they can do it without that commercialism that we see in the pros. And other venues out in the Midwest, I think, are on that par. Maybe not that level, but you think of, uh, like you mentioned, the Kohl Center in Madison, Wisconsin. You talk about uh, Mariucci Arena in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, some really fantastic venues. Um you know, I'm from the Northeast, so I haven't been, even though I've been to 26, that's how concentrated the schools are. There's 20 of them just in New England. 20 out of the 60 are located just in New England. So, but we don't have those big signature arenas. I'll get into what I like a little later, but I want to make sure that we highlight some of those fantastic places out in the Midwest. Do you know what I think is really cool about college hockey that's that's a little bit different is you have – you have a lot of spots like you have RIT and you have uh, RIT Arena. We haven't talked about that. It's supposed to be beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's it reminds me a lot of those newer kind of junior hockey arenas. It it's nice, um, maybe a little too a little too clean, a little too nondescript. But you have them. You have Mercyhurst. You have a, a ton in Minnesota. You uh, can have American International and Bentley play. Yeah. On the same level as, yeah, as Notre Dame. So you've got all these, these two schools, Alaska, yep. uh, 
you have all these D2 schools, which because uh, Division II hockey disappeared eons ago, now they play at Division One, And maybe I don't have the right feeling for it, but it feels like a Division II school that plays Division One hockey, it feels like hockey is, is the top. It's the draw. Uh, Alabama-Huntsville. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, what, how, how can they succeed? In it? And the program is growing. Mm-hmm. Here, here's a question. Um, there used to be two schools up in Alaska. There was University of Alaska, and then there was Alaska Fairbanks. Right. Fairbanks has discontinued the Division One program. No. No, Anchorage did? Anchorage did. All right, I always mix them up. Anchorage, so the sea wolves. Will, will Fairbanks be able to continue up on that island? They have, I actually looked this up the other day, so the Alaska Nanooks have a plan, uh, and they have they have published that they are prepared to play. Now, with the, basically what happened is the division, the conference that had both the Alaska teams and Alabama Huntsville, uh, basically all the um, other members left because they didn't want to go there anymore, and they created, recreated the CCHA. So you had Bowling Green and Miami and, and schools like that who are going to be in the new CCHA. Uh, Al- or, uh, Alabama Huntsville and Alaska are going to join, I believe, Arizona State, and they're they're all independents. So uh, it's going to be tough for them, I think, to to go without a partner, but they're going to give it a shot. And I mean, it, it's easy to say they're now the only game in town, but truth be told, and most people probably don't know this, um, Anchorage and Fairbanks are not remotely close. No, they're very far apart. They're basically a day's drive <laughs> from one to the other. So. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I guess we'll venture out into my part of the country here in the Northeast. You can separate college hockey into three conferences in the Northeast. And it, and it's almost you can almost stratify them. You've got the Hockey East, which are the big-name hockey schools, by and large. You've got the ECAC, which consists of the, the old Ivy League schools and a few others. And then you've got the poor Atlantic Hockey Association which when I started really following college hockey, a lot of these schools actually, they're made up, like you said, Dave, of the Division II schools where hockey is their only Division I team. And a lot of these places played not, they didn't even have campus arenas. They played in community rinks. So, for example, Bentley played at the John Ryan Arena in in, uh, Watertown. Um, Sacred Heart played at the Milford Ice Palace. Um, American International played at the Olympia Ice Arena. So they weren't even mentioned. You would, could go to a, a, a Bentley game, and you, there would be no, no sign that it was Bentley. You would see youth banners hanging, not a Division One college, college thing. So that has changed over the last few years. The AHA has really made strides. Schools have invested and built nice places you talked about we talked about rit very for a second built a beautiful on-campus arena bentley just built a nice 2000 seat hockey arena which is really nice i was able to go there for opening weekend you've got new arenas 
getting built, Sacred Heart is building a new on-campus arena. But in the meantime, they've kind of moved into uh, minor league places. So AIC plays at the Mass Mutual Center. Uh, Sacred Heart plays at the Webster Bank Arena in Bridgeport. So they've, they've moved up. The, the whole uh, bottom run has moved up. And so now there are a more equal playing field for prospects and for recruits and stuff. Here's, here's another one from that division that, that'll, uh, that'll just kind of make your head spin. So Canisius now plays in the, in the Harbor Center, right. which is nice. It's right across from uh, Key Bank where the Buffalo Sabres play. And it's a nice spot. But before that, they played at Buffalo State. So the Division One team, Canisius, played at Division Three Buffalo State. <laughs> there were no Canisius banners anywhere in that yeah. place. <laughs> yeah, so it shows how the, the sport is growing. Um, and, and actually leveling out. So instead of having the haves and have-nots, and we're talking about a tiny school being able to play on, on a par with Michigan, it's it's starting to, to not be so stratified. So if I want to talk about some of my favorite places, I really have to separate the, the 26 different places I've been to into new places and classic barns. So you've got some of my favorite places are uh, like a Guinness Arena at Boston University. You've got Songus Arena on UMass Lowell, which used to be a minor league hockey arena, but it was always owned by the school. And when the Lowell Devils moved out, the school just said, we're fine with that. It's ours. Yeah. Uh, really nice place to catch a game. The Mullen Center on the campus of UMass Amherst is a great place to catch a game. But when I think of my favorite college hockey barns, I think of some of the old places. Like uh, I mentioned Northeastern, Matthews Arena on the campus of Northeastern, which is actually the oldest arena still in full-time use in the world and still a very viable place. Actually, a little trivia. For our listeners, North the, uh, Matthews Arena is the only place that has been the first home of two NHL teams. Can you name them? Two NHL teams got their start at Matthews Arena. The New uh, England Whalers and Boston Bruins. There you go. So the Hurricanes uh, and the Bruins both started at Matthews Arena. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah the first year, right? They played yep. and then they left. That's, that's how old Matthews Arena is. Um, but get rid of it. You need a new one. <laughs> the only, the only, no, nobody's talking about getting rid of Matthews, man. No, I know that. <laughs> Although they did put in a new gigantic, and I mean gigantic, scoreboard. Dave, you've been there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've been there for like, basketball. That... You've got this 120-year-old arena with this brand-new 70-foot-long mega scoreboard. It, it, it just doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It feels It's like... It's like the Jerry Jones kind of scoreboard in there, isn't it? I mean, obviously yeah, not absolutely. as big as as that, but it just has that feel. I think it. I think it's as big as the basketball court. <laughs> I think it does go from baseline to baseline, or almost. Yeah. Uh, I think of another old barn where I just loved the vibe. Uh, yeah, if you if you go to a game in Northeastern, the band, the student section, far on. I haven't even talked about the bean pot yet. We'll get to that. Um, Princeton Hobie Baker Rink. Mark, you've been there. You can yes. you can testify to this. This old brick building. You don't even know you're at the hockey. I was actually standing right next to it. Yeah. Looking around. Where it. where's the hockey rink? I can't find it. There it is right there. You can't find it. It's so small and narrow. You're like, man, how do they play hockey here? But they managed to do it. It it does feel like you step back in time several decades when you're at Hobie Baker. Um 
yeah, it feels unchanged from, say, the yeah. 40s even. And I would say Parkins, a, a, well, I don't know, Parkins, it, it's just in a weird location. It doesn't stand out, unlike the baseball yeah. field or the football stadium or the basketball arena. And I think that's what just kind of adds to the mystique of this, this facility. Uh, plus it bears the name of Hopi Baker. And, you know, a lot of history at Princeton with its hockey program. So, Both outstanding player awards are named after Princeton players. The Patty Katzmeyer for the ladies and the Hobie Baker for the gentlemen. Both Princeton alums. Uh, and when I also think of my favorite places to check out, I think of Ingalls Rink in New Haven, home of the, uh, the Yale Bulldogs. It's better known as the Yale Whale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reason being... It was designed to look, well, it looks like a whale. It's got this giant, it was built to look like a skate and portray motion. So it's got this giant undulating beam running down the center of it, and it's got planks. So the ceiling is kind of a saddle shape. It does look like you're in the belly of a whale when you're inside of it. Small rink, nothing spectacular about the rink itself or the seating itself, but the visuals and the history. It was built in the 50s. And just has that vibe to it. So those are my favorite places to go with college hockey. Uh, Dave, have you talked about your favorites uh, besides Michigan? Uh... Other than Michigan and Notre Dame? <laughs> um, and, you know, those are probably the big ones. i I got to be honest, I've enjoyed pretty much every place I've gone. Uh, one place, I'd, and I think you could testify to this, I really enjoyed it. I was a little disappointed, and that was um, Boston College. I I loved the building. I loved seeing – I mean, oh, my gosh. They're going to have to, like, invest in more ceiling space. There's so many banners around that place. <laughs> uh, I love the Hall of Fame. It had, a, it had a really nice sort of feel to it. Uh, maybe it was the day that I went and the, the team that, I, that they played. Um, it, it just – it felt a little flat. They, it was not the experience that I expected. Maybe it was because they were playing Merrimack. But, you know, I, also they were um, – oh, who was the guy whose jersey they retired that day? Yeah, Brian Gianta. Brian Gianta, yes, thank you. I give you a bobblehead. Oh, no big deal. That's Brian Gianta. But I thought, you know, this would be, like, big and, and – but it, it was a little – it was flat. Maybe because they weren't playing a Boston team, but I don't know. But I really liked the building. Yeah, Conti Farms got that 80s vibe. It was built in the 80s and uh, really looks like it. But, it, yeah, it's a neat place. If, you, if you're at the Boston College, even if you're not, it really they display their history very well in that place. Uh, Miami was probably the other one. And, Mark, you, we were there at the same time, and it was I – think, I think we were both really surprised by how – how great it was, and to think it's in like central, uh, central west, west central Ohio. Yeah, it's it's like it's like first of all, Oxford, Ohio, where Miami is, is this beautiful oasis. You once you cross the border from Indiana into Ohio, Oxford is right there, and you're like, wow, where am I? Because there's not another city quite like that uh, anywhere. You know. Uh, uh, in the area, I live about two miles. You have you can't take the interstate there. You have to sort of get off the interstate and take some state roads. 
But, yeah, you have this gorgeous hockey arena that is designed specifically for the sport, for the team, which I think is the number one draw there uh, ahead of football and basketball. And you just had this packed house with all the fixings of the band and the student section and the people chanting during certain parts of the games, which are the traditions. And everybody's a red-blooded hockey fan. It was it was simply amazing to think that this exists in an area where you're not really known for hockey, you know, hockey uh, support, you know. And, yeah. and I would tell anybody, I'd put, I'd put Oxford up with a lot of great other college hockey venues. Uh, it's a must-see. Sneaky small. Yeah. It, it, it feels right. a lot bigger than it really is. You know, you look yeah. at the capacity of that place and you go, whoa, I, I could have swore it was like 10,000. Yeah, and, and the way it's designed, it's got the, the brick interior. And, and like I said, the campus, all the buildings sort of match each other. Yeah. Uh, you know, if there's a baseball game this weekend, I, I may head over there because that's just <laughs> such a cool little town to hang out in. I, I would love to spend more time there. Uh, another one I would say, Paul, back to you, that I, I liked. I was pleasantly surprised. The vibe just didn't do it. Uh, Harvard. Like I thought, I thought the arena itself was really nice, and there's a lot going on. Um, the 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 murals, the trophies. Uh, geez, when you got pictures on the wall from like the 1800s, that, I mean that's really cool. But yeah, it was it was flat. It could be because when I was there, it was minus a million degrees Fahrenheit, uh, so it was a little cold. But, you know, <laughs> but. The, that's a, that's another thing that you're going to get in college hockey that you're not going to get in basketball and you're not going to get in football. Harvard has won a national championship in the not that far past. So is Yale, yep. right? Like those are not schools that are competing at that level in basketball or in football, right? Right. Union College has won a championship in the last decade. Union College. You want to talk about an intimate little cozy place, Union, where they jam 4,000 people into a spot no bigger than my garage. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's just, and the upper level consists of these bleachers. And the, I swear the first set of bleachers, the first row, had to be three feet off the ground. I remember having to help pull people up into the bleachers. It was just a really strange setup. But because they have to jam people into every little crevice of the hey, place. You uh, messed UMass Dartmouth, you're on notice. Paul's Garage. That's, yes. Hockey team. <laughs> I was going to say, if anybody was thinking that during COVID protocols, his garage is available. <laughs> UMass Dartmouth does have a hockey team, by the way. We're Division Three. Okay. Uh, yeah, we were talking about, uh, you know, our favorite places, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention, at least mention really quickly, the best college hockey experience ever anywhere, bar none at any time, and that is the bean pot. Mm. And we've talked about the bean pot on this show before, so I won't get into it too far, but we were talking about what the energy that student sections bring and the energy that bands bring to the experience. Now, you've got the bean pot, which takes place the four uh, Boston Division One teams, Boston College, Boston University, Northeastern, and Harvard. They play on the first two Mondays of every February, and you have four student sections, you have four bands, you have alumni and fans of the four teams all mixed together at the TD Garden. So you have crowds anywhere between 10 and 16,000 for the Bean Pot. 
it just makes for a great, great atmosphere, especially if you take the best two student sections, BU and Northeastern, and when they're meeting in the final, like they did last year for an overtime game, the back and forth. I want it to be sitting in the aisle right between the two sections just to be in the middle of that ruckus. It must have been the loudest place on the earth at that time. So I also want to mention a really bad college hockey experience I had in a place that should be on our list of top arenas. But because my experience there was so bad, it, it went the other way. I'm talking about uh, Pagula Arena, Penn State. Now, I don't know. You guys have not been there, have you? No. Um, no. Brand new, shiny arena, less than 10 years old. It actually has some great modern features, like uh, you can uh, check out the the players, the teams on the players, with touch screens, and they incorporate technology. And it's got its own little Subway restaurant in there, and it's got different things. Really nice place. It's got some nice luxury boxes and group areas. But the reason my experience there was so bad is that we happened, we visited Penn State on one of our big hockey road trips. So it lined up where we happened to be there when Notre Dame was in town. So as you may imagine, sellout crowd. So we were not able to get tickets. We were able to manage standing room tickets. Now, the issue is the way Penn State is set up, there are standing room only in three of the corners of the rink. So there's room for maybe 50 people standing room. I think for this game, they sold at least five times that. So Mm -hmm. people were five, ten deep in the corners trying to see the rink. We didn't get to see any of the game. So it wow. turned what otherwise would have been a fantastic night. The place was rocking, um, as you might imagine, but we didn't get to see much. We actually found a little lounge that had a fireplace and some couches, and we watched the game on TV that we were at. That, that story <laughs> reminds me of the College World Series, just five, ten rows deep in the uh, outfield area. Yeah. So wow. a, a lesson to, to teams, don't be greedy. If you don't have room, don't sell the tickets, please. You know, or call the fire department when you do that. <laughs> you know, as as much as I've enjoyed college hockey, uh, I, I would be remiss if I hadn't said that both times I've been to the Frozen Four, I've been a little lackluster. Uh, the first time I went was in Detroit in 2010. Uh, Boston College won that year. But they were trying to get like the biggest crowd ever uh and they had it in ford field and wow they were this was before they had final four there um maybe a year or two before and what they tried to do is they were trying to do the center kind of you know winter classic kind of style where the ice is right in the middle and, and it it didn't sell to that so then they ended up pushing it down to one end so it was really oversized, <laughs> uh, and and your your tickets you're you're in the lottery. I mean that's often the way the NCAA works. So you know we were up in the upper deck, and not not a great view. Uh, and then the second time I went was in Buffalo, and between the NCAA and the organizers, they really really missed. That was their a bad price. one, yeah. They missed their price point. Does, it does, was way off, and it wasn't packed. Does the NCAA does, does the NCAA organizational wise do anything not haphazardly or cluster effery? 
I, I would say I would say this. Um, the NCAA is responsible for far more than hockey, football, and basketball. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Doesn't doesn't answer it. So yeah, they, your 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 experience kind of goes against mine. Where I've been to a couple of Frozen Fours, but they were quite a while ago. And the Frozen Four, I think, is kind of outgrown where where its sweet spot was. Because when I saw the Frozen Four, it was in Providence. Oof. And if you no, it was wonderful. One of the Oof. best nights of my life. One of the most good nights of my life. Oh, that's where I want to be to see college hockey, Providence. <laughs> I'll take it. It was, it was fantastic. And yeah, it, I don't if think you, that'd be a bad spot. But if you look back at where the Frozen Four used to be, it used to be in the smaller places. Yeah. And now it's, you know, now it's in the NHL rinks or, or bigger. And I can't wait to go to Providence, the smaller arena, <laughs> with a bunch of college kids pissing me off every period. Which can't, would be pretty easy to do, correct? Can't wait. <laughs> can't wait. You know, I always <laughs> seem to sit next to the, or in front of or behind the guy who is trying to impress his girlfriend and talking about the game in front of him in which he knows nothing about. And it's not just me saying that. Ask Kelly. Every time, both of us turn around and go, that's not at all what's going on right there. We won't say it, but in our heads, like, what? And I'm just no, like. No, I just stick cam on him when somebody's like. Multiply that by 80 college. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure nobody will throw, like, rock hard fig Newtons at you like they do in Philadelphia. Oh, please. If you're wearing an opposing jersey. Are you throwing fig Newtons in Philadelphia? Because I just ate a bag and I need more. <laughs> my, my very first college hockey games were actually the CCHA finals, like the old CCHA. Which were played at Joe Louis Arena. Wow. Um, the final, Michigan and Notre Dame. Oh God! Yes, it, sign it, me up it, for that. It was great. It was great. I even got to see Alaska. Alaska played uh, in the the bronze medal game before Alaska and Northern Michigan. Listen, maybe I've just creeped out because I watched that North Dakota. Um, oh yeah, I fell asleep. But oh, who who? Oh my God, Minnesota Duluth. Minnesota Duluth. <laughs> yeah. I watched that game. It was in, uh, I believe it was, um, was it in North, where was it? North Dakota. It was in North, North Dakota. Dakota. Okay, I was about to say, I'm like, am I wrong? No, well, I was watching everybody there, you're, and you're I was just wrong. creeped out because, no, I'm not, correct. Um, <laughs> that's not true at all. But um, I was watching this crowd during a pandemic where no masks act like that, and I'm just like, Oh, I can't wait to go to a college hockey game. I'm so happy. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. It just seems like we're having to. By the way, Frozen Fig Newtons, is that what's going on? Because I missed Rock that game. I thought it was hard. I thought it was batteries and snowballs. Snow That's what uh, the people keep telling me. Well, this was at. At the Spectrum, so or the they FU had Center. At the Spectrum, that's at awesome. the FU No, they were brought in as ammo. It was oh, right, not right. a snack. It was, right. during, was it the Spectrum I'm, or the FU Center? Well, I'm trying to think. There's a difference. One uh, that would have, one one smells like piss, the other doesn't yet. It might have, it might have been the Spectrum. This okay. was uh, this was early on. It Thank was a New York Saints versus Philadelphia Wings game. Oh, okay, that's it. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, never mind. <laughs> Coming back to never college mind. hockey. Coming back to college hockey. Are we? I think I I think we're done with college hockey. I think that kind Alrighty. of signals. Let's talk about Fig Newtons. Do you uh, eat them with a side of pork roll? I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm not. I'm just kidding. Fig Newtons were invented in Massachusetts. 
They're fucking delicious, by the way. Oh, here we go. Yeah, they're tasty. They're tasty. Why? Okay, Palachaki, you want me to show up? I'm going to bring it back around. I need Fignut served at the bars, at the, at the concession stands at the NCAA. Uh, so, let's let's wrap up our show by talking about Thank where you. we've been the past couple oh. of weeks. So, Mark, you got some good stories. You've been to a game or two. Yeah, I, I've been to uh, – <laughs> The final four tournaments being held here in Indianapolis. So uh, someone actually had an extra ticket for me, and I got to check out Baylor versus Hartford, which was held at an NFL stadium, Lucas Oil Stadium. Is that where that was? Yeah, and I wanted to go there because I wanted to see the two courts, and you're able to walk in and you can see both courts. Obviously one is not being used, uh, and then they rope you off. Uh, so about 35,000 seats, I think, for both ends. Very nondescript atmosphere. I was sitting on top. Uh, you barely could see the game. We were talking about watching basketball from uh, in a football stadium. And I, all I could think about was what we were saying, like, wow, there's you're so disconnected from the game. Uh, there's not a lot of fans. It was at 25%. So you didn't even have, you know, 20,000 people there. When I walked downstairs, I sat by the Baylor people. You know, they were there cheering. It got a little more exciting. I went by the Hartford folks. There were some Hartford people. And I uh, got a little bit of enjoyment talking with them because they were just happy to be there. It was their first time in the big uh, the tournament. I thought the best part was being outside downtown with all the fans walking around and at the restaurants and talking with them and just having some really great conversations. A lot of the bars were packed. Uh, there was no social distancing going on, but you did have to have a table seat. You couldn't just stand around. Uh, so that was Friday. The next day I was at Butler University at Hinkle. Uh, they had a series of games as well. They had, uh, George, uh, they had uh, Georgetown versus uh, Colorado, and then you had Iona versus uh, Alabama. Got to talk to a lot of Alabama fans. Got to talk to a lot of Georgetown fans. I saw Patrick Ewan. I saw Kenny Mutombo. Once again, the excitement was outside of the arena because once you got inside, you're very nondescript and you're at a 9,000-seat venue. I thought it was going to be a little bit better, but you're, you're just there with very limited capacity, and that was the hot ticket to get. Everybody who was buying a ticket wanted to check out a game at Butler, but uh, I tell people, go to Butler when the place is packed. You'll like it even more. But, you know, the way I look at it, beggars can't be choosers. If you get a chance to see a game at Butler, you'll take it, whether there's 9,000 people or 90 people. Uh, so then at Monday I went downtown again. I, I went to check out a, a game at the Bankers Life Fieldhouse, uh, UCLA versus uh, Christian Abilene. Once again, just very nondescript. I, I was very disappointed. I was getting a little bit tired of going to these NCAA games because there wasn't much going on. It's like, okay, by Monday, the thrill was gone. Now, I think it's picking up again with the Elite Eight action happening as we speak. Uh, But the highlight for me was uh, Saturday. I went to Huntington University, which is a very small Christian college. I don't know if it's a Christian. Yeah, it's a Christian college. Division III, NAIA, uh, about a half hour south of Fort Wayne. Small little town. But they got this gorgeous ballpark called Florist Glen Park. It is built down a hill. So when you park your car on top, you can actually see the diamond. And people are camped out on chairs or blankets, and they're bringing food to eat, and they're dogs. And you have, like, a line of people watching the game from the hill. 
And this hill right now is full of uh, leafless trees. People tell me once you come back during the spring, all the greenery shows up and it makes it even more beautiful. So if you walk down the hill, uh, you get to see uh, a, a small little creek that runs around the back of the grandstand. And there's actually a bridge, a little bridge you can walk over and retrieve foul balls. And you can actually try to walk up the hill. Uh, but it's it's just, it was a beautiful day. It was 60-some degrees. The place was not at capacity, but close to near capacity. And it was great baseball. It was a 4-3 extra inning uh, game. So uh, the pitching was great. The defense was, was, was better. And everybody just had a really great time. And I was not expecting much. Somebody told me to go up there because they thought it was a nice ballpark. When you compare uh, this college with other teams in this conference, this one stands out. And I would tell people, go out to this ballpark. If you happen to be in the Fort Wayne area or if you're visiting ballparks uh, in Indianapolis or the surroundings, make a trip to Huntington, Indiana. Very small place, beautiful ballpark, one of the best kept secrets, I think, uh, for for ballpark uh, travelers. I would tell people this is a place you need to go. And then afterwards, go downtown to a place called Antiqueology. They make homemade ice cream, homemade root beer, homemade soda, homemade milkshakes. Get the Rice Krispie Treat milkshake. Wonderful ice cream. You'll love it. And there's a few other great places in town to eat at, and you can check that out in my review coming soon. But what a what a marvelous, perfect day I had on Saturday looking at this ballpark that I was unaware of. Forest Glen Park, Huntington Foresters, nothing you've ever seen before. Uh, check it out. Isn't that what we all go for uh, while we're searching for places are these hidden gems? Yeah. We feel it's, like it's we've been gem. the one to discover it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's it was, you know, if I went there with, like, the day before the game was rained out, if I went there on Sunday when the temperatures were 40 degrees, I would have said, wow, this place stinks, but you go there on the right day. And, and right now in where I live in Indianapolis, you have to look at the weather because one day can be gorgeous and the next day can be completely opposite. Uh, and, and that what makes it tough. Uh, check it out, college ballparks around this time because you want to go there on the perfect day. You know, I was going to go to Cincinnati tonight to see a ball game. That would have been nice weather. If I go there Thursday – it's good temperatures are going to be in the upper 30s, lower 40s. So, you know, it's uh, it, it's just you really like those those travels when you go to a place and you fall in love and you can't stop thinking about it. And I even took the state roads back home. It's a, it's about an hour and 15 minute, hour and 20 minute drive for me. Even that was wonderful. You you know, the, the, it's daylight longer. You take the trip back home. You're on the state roads. Your office, the interstates. Everything about that day was just really nice. Met some great people up there, too, promoted the site. Uh, so, yeah, it, just those are the days you live for. That That's why I love traveling. That's why I love doing these ballpark hunting and riding for Stadium Journey because I get to go to cool places like that and tell people about it. Perfect. Jeez, we speaking just of, a distillery up there. Okay. Speaking of days you live for, I guess I had a couple of those this weekend, too. Paul, you didn't nah. do anything this weekend. We talking about nah, yeah. no big deal. Who cares? Yeah, I, I got to uh, for the first time. What was it? I said the first time I had been inside a hockey rink for 383 days. I actually checked it out. And the reason I was in a hockey rink is because I was actually part of the crew working the National Women's Hockey League Isabel Cup Championships this past, past weekend, Friday and Saturday. 
So we did two games on Friday and then the championship game on Saturday. So it was actually a thrill of a lifetime to be part of the crew working the game and to be part of the first telecast of professional women's hockey on network TV. The games were all televised live on NBC Sports Network, and I was the PA announcer for the games. So if you happen to watch the games, you definitely heard me talking about them. So that was that was my weekend. It was a, it was a great thrill to be part of that. I mean, I'm not going to talk about Warrior Ice Arena. There were no fans, but still didn't diminish the. Uh, it's a shame your the, team didn't win or anything. Yeah, the, the Boston probably did take home the Isabel Cup. They are now the first two-time winner of the Isabel Cup, and it was actually you know. For, as somebody who does podcasts and, and has work doing PA and stuff, it was really interesting to be part of a national telecast like that and to see what how it what actually happens. works versus yeah, this yeah, yeah. To, to see a different world. You know, I had a a producer in my ear giving me cues when to go. Oh, and there you go. Funny story from the from the telecast. I mean, I, I could be in your ear giving you stuff to say if you want. I could give you the experience. I, I've had it. I don't need it. Uh, but uh, my producer, who was actually a Shelly Picard, who was the uh, deputy director, deputy commissioner of the NWHL. Oh, okay, she, cool. She was acting as the uh, liaison between the production truck and and everybody inside the arena. That's cool. So, so she was giving my, me my cues of when to start. And, you know, so for the semi, first semifinal game was Boston and Toronto. And Boston was the visiting team, technically. So I had introduced them first. So, you know, my spiel was, welcome to Warrior Ice Arena. And the Isabel Cup playoffs. Now let's meet the the starting lineups. First for the Boston Pride. And so I went into my spiel and introduced the first player. It was number 21, Christina Putinia. And I, after I got through her name, said, no, no, stop, wait. They're not ready yet. So they were doing whatever it is they were doing. So, okay, so stop. And nobody inside the nobody else inside the arena, I think, besides Shelly and myself and the lady who was in there with us doing the clock, Nobody else knew what was going on. So a couple seconds later, she says, okay, go. So I start through the whole spiel again. Number 21, Christina Putinia. Says, no, 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 stop. So apparently in her ear from the truck, the guy was telling, the, the director was telling her, no, no, no. And she thought he was saying, go, go, go. Mm. So. Well, I'll tell you this. On TV, I only right. saw it once. Right. Yeah, because on, on TV, the reason they didn't want me to go is because they didn't want TV to go wasn't, live. wasn't mic'd up. Yeah, yeah. Right. They didn't, want, they didn't want to cut to me, and I'm already halfway through the introductions. It was just so funny because when, they, when you zoomed in on the players, they're laughing. They stopped me twice. And so so finally says, okay, now go. And so I do it again, and they cut to the players, and the players are on the ice cracking up as I'm doing their introductions. So, That's not your fault, though. No, no, it was not, definitely not my fault. But it was it was really funny that I false started three times. And you can see, if you watch it knowing that story now, you can say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're all laughing. They're laughing at me. No, I saw it. I saw it. I, saw it. I didn't know what they were laughing at until I texted you and you texted yeah, you're me. Texting like, yeah, you during the game. I said, oh, I got a funny story for this. I episode. did it three times. I was like, ah, that explains why I saw them going. <laughs> and and they, they, didn't, they obviously didn't know what was going on. I mean, yeah. They're like, what the hell? Why are you doing this three times? But. It was a thrill of a lifetime to be part of that and to come home and to watch the game and to hear hear the uh, the announcers kick it down to me, mention my name and me do my spiel and it went off well and the tournament went well and hopefully we can do it again next year on national TV with fans. I, I did say this to add on to your uh, – this is just an assumption based on how things are going. I do think 
sports, whether or not it's 100% capacity, it won't be. Um, I do think all the sports are gonna tr- tr- are gonna be as close to their normal schedule as possible. I have this feeling. Let's hope you're right. It's just, it's just you know, just wear a mask still and calm oh. down. Your fake oppression about your mask. I'm not gonna get into it now, but stop it. Damn it. So, so Dave, can you can you top the uh, the NCAA tournament or broadcasting on national TV? Mm. Damn. <laughs> I hurt my arm. Ooh. I went and picked up dinner at the Iron Skillet in Wasaga Beach. That's pretty exciting. It is. It is. Sounds good. Was it good? Uh, it was fantastic. <laughs> it's was always it, good there. Was it national TV good? Uh, yeah, I didn't want national TV in my cottage while I was eating. <laughs> so, what yeah. What are you so doing here? <laughs> so the Boston Pride ended up winning the tournament, and uh, to be uh, part of the part of the celebration, and everything was just an amazing thrill. And next year will be seven teams. Yes, yes. Another new team joining the circuit next year. Was that Toronto? Was that uh, no, no, Toronto Toronto's already year. there? Uh, Montreal true. is joining next year. Oh, what, do we know the name? It's not officially official yet, but Montreal Nordiques. <laughs> cool. Well, <laughs> that you, would be you want to you want to see this league grow, and hopefully, I do. I do it's legitimate. Yeah. Just anything interesting makes me like, all right, now I need this to happen. Because yeah. that make, – Make it so. That make it so. That's a whole episode right there. They named them Nordiques. They certainly did. I was unaware I held such cachet to make it. Hey, Canadian. All I had to say was interesting, and all of a sudden, boom. No, no, it's the way you said interesting. Montreal Nordiques. Montreal Nordiques. Uh, the, Nordiques. the chances of, of the – of the new women's team being called the Montreal Nordiques are in the negatives. In the negatives. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, 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 no. it's not even zero chance. No, 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 no. They're in the double negatives. <laughs> double negatives are positive. However, how about the Maroons? Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Oh. oh, I got one. The Expos. Not happening. Damn it. <laughs> the Expos, I, I like it, but I don't know if we're – uh, no, it doesn't sound hockeyish. The UP, uh, the UP back. I, I would think that Warren Cromarty and his um, potential ownership group with uh, Stephen Bromfman have a, a very secure hold over the Expos name. You really think that's coming back? Yeah. Huh? I would assume. Really? Wow. They're definitely not coming back as a hockey team. No, no, of course not. By the way, for all the Stadium Journey listeners, that was sarcasm. I don't think that at all. <laughs> all right, so I guess that's where we're going to wrap it up for tonight. I hope you enjoyed our discussion of college hockey. And, uh, geez, some big-time traveling this week for people who can't travel very far, huh? <laughs> Are you bitching about this pandemic anymore? Y'all went out, except for Dave. Well, it, okay? I, mean, it's I nice went to when, an empty arena. It's nice <laughs> when the 64, you know, team tournament is held. <laughs> your hope the yeah. place you live, it makes life a little bit easier. Yeah. But I'm still planning some trips. It's just uh, weather-wise, you know, do I want to go out and see Ohio State Buckeyes baseball on Friday? See, that's what's different, Mark, because none of the colleges in my area are allowing fans. I've checked every single one of them. Yeah. Do you well, tell them, you know, do you know who I am? I'm the CA guy for the NWA. I have a ring. I, you know, I, 
I'm assuming a lot of these colleges are allowing fans. If Huntington University is allowing fans, I would assume IU, Purdue, Ohio State, yeah. Miami University are allowing fans. But, you know, I should maybe I should check into that. I mean, you know, Cincinnati had a game. I did contact their PR guy. He didn't write back to me, but that's You don't want to make the new. drive. And yeah, I don't want to make the drive because I could say, well, I'll just go pay the five bucks to watch the game. But uh, I know when I was looking at football games, Miami University told me they weren't taking – they weren't very limited on who they were taking. So uh, that could be the same for baseball. So, yeah, it probably does depend on, on the college. So You guys crack me up. Our colleges aren't doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> most, of, most of the students aren't even at college. They're still doing remote? Yes, in, in but a, – In a Dave, lot of cases, they are. Dave, the United States are run by a bunch of morons. <laughs> oh, I – yeah, it's uh, we're getting shots. Gas prices are going up. We're just ready. Just saying. We're there. Where can our listeners direct all their hate mail? Hate mail to that brick wall. The closest brick wall to that name. They can send the hate mail to that brick wall. No, follow me at Danlaw83. Mark, where can our listeners follow your travels? Uh, you can check me out at Ballpark Hunter on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Check out my uh, review on uh, Forest Glen Park this Monday at 12 o'clock Eastern Time. That's when I'll be releasing the video. One of the best ballparks you've never heard of. And Dave, where can our listeners follow you online? Uh, Profan9 at, on Twitter. Uh, Obstructive Views on its way real soon. Check out the last one on UConn Basketball. The next one is getting ready for that opening day. PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Get ready for it. Check it out. Uh, Literary Journey, I haven't mentioned lately, but it's still continuing. I highly recommend Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Fascinating, fascinating story about how uh, he built Nike. That does sound like an interesting way. And shops. And you can follow, yeah, you can follow my stadium journeys on Twitter or Instagram at PuckmanRI. And don't forget, please check out our website, stadiumjourney.com. Follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. We're at Stadium Journey. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like us on Facebook as well. We got a page over there too. We're on all our social media. And you can find the Stadium Journey podcast at BOCNation.com or search BOC Nation Radio Network on whatever podcast app you have. Remember, all of the BOC Nation podcasts are on Spotify. Look at that. We're big time. And we simulcast live every other Tuesday night. Don't want to leave that out. At 8 Eastern at twitch.tv slash danlaw83. So we'll be back in two weeks. That'll put us into April. It'll be April 13th, I believe, in two weeks. We have not decided on a topic yet, but I guarantee you it'll be awesome. Until then, remember, remember the albatross and the whale. They are my brother. This is a sister, the Doctor of Style, and you're listening to VOC Nation. Check out.
out in the room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fist, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, and Killer Ken Resnick. When I die, they're going to open me up and find about 2,000 undigested Northwest Airlines cheese omelets. Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on? Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the Iraqi war. Everybody loves Granny. Wow. Yeah, see, a lot of people don't know that. Yes, Dylan, you guys are busting me up. Catch Wrestling With History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Stadium Journey, the worldwide leader in stadium reviews for the travel and sports fam, is proud to present the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. Join us as we talk with prominent figures from around the sports world to discuss issues pertaining to sports travel and stadiums around the globe. New episodes air on VOC Nation, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Join Paul Baker, Dave Cartney, Mark Viquez, Dan Calachico, and guests from throughout the sports world on the Stadium Journey podcast on VOC Nation. On Wrestling With Problems, we deal with two things, wrestling and problems. On the wrestling side, we cover the major fads as well as the indies. As far as problems go, we cover our problems, American problems, and world problems. Sometimes the problems are even related to wrestling. Every week, comedian King David Lane and wrestler, promoter, Chris Best discuss the best and especially the worst in the world of wrestling with a heaping dose of comedy. Check us out live on VLCNation.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week, talking dream matches, taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. Yo, this is Jerry Stein with the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get, get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, because it's about to get nasty all around and up in this mother. Get ready. Nasty Sensation is coming at you. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.